Thank you, Tanner. If you've got your Bible, will you uh, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And if you, if you didn't bring your Bible with you today, we have those underneath the pew, um, underneath the chairs there. So um, if you would just grab a Bible there, you can actually, in the hardback Bibles we provide you, it's on page 811. Um, as we reflect on Mother's Day, um, I have many great memories of Mother's Day growing up. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid, so my dad was a pastor, um, I grew up in the local church, and there was one thing for sure, my dad always made sure that my mom was honored on Mother's Day, which usually meant she didn't have to cook, or she wasn't going to cook. You see, my mother usually, um, since my dad was um, a pastor and preaching, she would prepare um, usually a, a, pretty, a pretty good meal for lunch on Sundays. Um, and so this was a big thing. Mother's Day, Mom, you're not cooking, we're taking you out. And so I loved Mother's Day as a kid because I, I always knew that either we were going out to eat, which I loved, or maybe we would pick something up and go to a park and have a picnic somewhere. Mother's Day was a great day for me. Some of you can even relate. You're, you're even thinking now, man, what, what, did, what were your Mother's Days like? What did you do? Um, and, and many of you can say, man, that was, a, that was a fun day for me, even a fun day today. Uh, many, many of you are mothers. Um, but for others, maybe Mother's Day is not so fun and so happy. Um, maybe your relationship with your mother is broken. Um, maybe you've had a miscarriage. And, and maybe you long to have kids, but you can't. Um, there are many reasons why today may not would bring much joy, but may even bring much worry. You worry, will my relationship with my mother ever be restored? You worry, will I ever be able to have kids? You worry, man, God, I want to be a mother. I want to have kids. God, how will you provide? It brings much worry. Um, you, you even think that, well, if, if you had kids and if your relationship with your mother was restored, then maybe that would relieve all the worry in your life. But you know what you realize? You realize that, that when you get kids, when, if you have kids, you still worry. You just worry about different things. So if you have kids, you worry, will my kids be healthy? Will they make right choices? What will they be when, when they grow up? What will they do with their life? You see, the reality is, is that every single person in here today, not just mothers, we all worry. We have tons of worry in our life. Let me ask you today, what are the one, two, three, six, dozen things that occupy your mind? What do you worry about? You know, if you've got kids, like I've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, their birthdays were this past week, and I've got a three-month-old. You know what? A five- and three-year-old even worry. A five- and three-year-old, they worry, hey, are they going to put the dog up when we go to our friend's house? They've got worries. So for my, for my kids, you know, my daughter is learning to love dogs, but dogs are not a, a friendly word for her. So when, we, if, when she finds out we're going to somebody's house, it's like, is the dog going to be out? 
and that just consumes her. And you can see the worry overtaking her. Maybe for an elementary school kid, it's the worry is that their older brother gets $3 more in their allowance each week. And what could I do if I had $3 more for my allowance? For a middle, you know, they grow up and they go to middle school and it's not the $3 anymore. Now they worry, man, what am I going to wear to school today? Why do they worry about that? Because what will people think of me? Will I be accepted? Will I be liked? What about that boy or girl that I've got my eye on? And what are they going to think about what I wear today? Consumes their mind. They grow up and they go to high school and their worries change. Their worries change to now thinking about college. Will I be a junior marshal? Will I get the GPA that I need to go to my college of choice? Will I get that loan that I need in order to go to college? And then they get to college, as we have many college students here, and you still worry. Your life is still consumed with worry. Now you worry, okay, I'm in college, but will I get a job? And no. Will, I, will there be a job at all for me? How will I pay off these college loans that I used to worry about, and now I've got, but now I've got to pay them off? How am I going to do that? Will, will I ever get married? Am I even worthy of being married? And that continues on. You continue to worry. Man, not, not just will I get married, but when I get married, will my spouse be faithful? Maybe some of you are married today. Maybe that's what's going on through your mind. Will my spouse be faithful? You get married, you've got a job, and then it's, well, will I ever be able to have kids? You get kids, and then you worry, how are my kids going to turn out? Especially if you've got kids like mine, some, like my three-year-old Emmett, who's a wild man. You know, I worry all the time. What is he going to get himself into? Worry consumes us. You grow older in life, and then your worries change. Then you start worrying about your health, because you know what? You've got friends who are dying of cancer. And then your worry becomes, am I, am I going to be healthy? Will I die early of cancer? And then it even turns to money. What happens when I retire? Am I going to have enough money? What about the economy? The stock market, is it going to crash again? Will there be another terrorist attack? Will the Boston Celtics beat Miami Heat tomorrow night? You see, worry consumes every single one of us. And, and you think that if you just get to the next stage of life, that your worry will be done with. And the reality is, is even till the day you die, there will be things that you will be tempted to worry about. Some of you are even beginning to worry right now. As I just listed off a number of worries. And I've lost you for the next 45 minutes because that's a danger. You know what? When Jesus shared the parable of the sower, Jesus says, the seed was scattered. Some fell on rocky ground. Some, some grew up a little bit in the thorns. And then some fell on good soil and it produced. You know what he says about the seed that fell among the thorns? Is it said, when this seed grew, it died. The thorns killed it. And he said, the thorns are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. For some of you, it is the worries of this life that are keeping you from embracing and trusting Jesus Christ.
Let's let that not happen today. And so let me just encourage you, your mind's probably already running in a thousand different directions. We need God to come and speak truth to us and to free us from this bondage that rules our lives. So I'm going to pray again because I feel like as I've kind of stimulated your minds, we need to make sure that we are focusing ourselves. And let me just encourage you to go before God, even right now, if you're just overwhelmed with worry, just say, hey, God, it is there. I need your truth today. Would you pray that to God? Let me lead us. Father, there is much to worry about. And God, we need your truth. We need you to free us from this bondage. So God, for the next 30, 45 minutes, would you free our thoughts to think great things about you? And would you grant us great faith in your promises? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you are even worrying, man, 45 minutes. You know, that's a, I'm just kidding. Bye. Let's say 30 minutes. I want to relieve some worry there. So here, man, what Jesus has to say in Matthew 6 matters today. It matters. Because in the midst of all of these worries, there are some things that we can take home today that can radically change our life. So Matthew 6, just to set a little background here, this is, Jesus shares this in the Sermon on the Mount which goes from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount, it starts in Matthew 5, and Jesus goes up on a mountain, and His disciples come near to Him, and then He shares about many issues related to what is life like in the kingdom of God. Man, He talks about marriage, lust, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving, fasting, prayer. Right before this section here, He talks about money. And this is what he says. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Now just think with me. Jesus basically minimizes the utter significance of material things. He says, don't accumulate. Store up treasures in heaven. But you know what? There were probably those even hearing that message that were thinking, Jesus, man, I've got a family I've got to put food on the table. I've got to have clothes to wear. What about necessities? Jesus, what about the things that I really need in life? This is where Matthew 6 comes in. And this is what he says. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus teaches us here that even material necessities, however legitimate they may be, are not valid causes of worry. But we must reflect the kingdom of God by our unwavering trust in His gracious provision. Just a few observations from the text here. Three times Jesus says, do not be anxious. He starts off the passage, do not be anxious. In verse 31, do not be anxious. And at the very last verse of this passage, he says, do not be anxious. Obviously, the thrust of this passage is worry and anxiety. And so, man, the first truth that I want to share with you today is very simple. Do not be anxious. It's nothing profound. This is exactly what Jesus says. Do not be anxious. Now, we're going to jump in to what this means and, and, and even some reasons Jesus gives here. But first of all, let me just hit this up. This is what Jesus doesn't mean. You see, there's some of you that are sitting there thinking right now, man, this is great. You're the happy-go-free person. You're carefree. You never get anything done, and you never get anything done on time. And you're thinking, man, I knew these Christians were too tight. They needed to loosen up. They needed to relax. Now, this is not what Jesus is saying. He's not, he's not advocating that we should be lazy or careless or apathetic, as we're going to see as we go through the text. But I want you to see this as well. There is a sense in which worry is not only good, but its absence, biblically speaking, is irresponsible. Did you hear what I said? There's a sense in which worry is good. I mean, think about this. Shouldn't a follower of Jesus be concerned? Now, I've used a word that's not as loaded as worry. But isn't concern worry? I mean, concern leads to worry. But shouldn't we be concerned that we be faithful and useful to our Master? Shouldn't that concern us? Shouldn't the lostness of greater Boston and the world concern us? Shouldn't we think about such things? Yes. I would argue that we should think about these things. And if we don't, we are, we are being apathetic to this whole world. That's not what Jesus is addressing. That's not the problem. What He's addressing are the basic necessities of life. Food, drink, and clothing. Should that consume our thoughts and our minds? Now as we move on here, I want to talk briefly about the nature of worry. As to understand, hey, do not be anxious. I want you to see, man, why do we worry? What's going on when that, that happens? I want to share with you a brief definition from David Pallison where he says what Jesus is addressing here is something David Pallison calls anxious 
greed. And it says this. Anxious greed says, I want something I might not get, so I worry. I want to be married, and I may not get that, and so I'm going to worry until I get it. Do you see how worry works? It is really worry and greed are connected in. You worry because you want something. And you're going to worry until you get it. It's a form of greed. Now, that's the first kind of nature of worry. Secondly, I want you to see is that worry concerns the uncertainties of life. You worry about things that are uncertain, like your health. I mean, let's pray that the Lord, somebody finds a cure for cancer. But how do you get cancer? I don't know. Now, some forms of cancer we do know, they are connected with certain things. But others, where do they come from? Do you just consume your mind worrying, am I going to get health? A lot of things are out of my control. A job. There are some things that are in your control. You can work to the best of your ability, but you cannot control your boss, your supervisor, their plans for the, for the business. You do the best you can, but there are things you cannot control. So you worry about things you want. You worry because there are things that are uncertain in life. You worry also because you can't control things. You worry because you can't control things. Listen to this. David Pallison says this. He says, central to worry is the illusion that we can control things. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. We can't control something. When we can't control something, we worry about it. You guys see what's going on in the worry in your life? And then finally, I want you to see that at the very, at the very root of worry is this, is a failure to believe God. It is a lack of un is a lack of belief. It signifies unbelief. When we worry, we show that we have very little confidence in God. That's why in the middle of this text, did you hear what Jesus rebuked the disciples? He said, Oh you of little faith. This is the nature of worry. And where do we go from here? Here's going to be the main heart of our, of our message today and what Jesus shares is this. There are many things to worry about, but Jesus gives you solid reasons to live without worry. He doesn't just hang this up there, do not worry, and leave it there. He gives you some great reasons why you shouldn't worry. Specifically, there are things that are certain in life. Believe them. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some of these things that Jesus says, do not worry because this is true. Here's the question for you today as we go through these. Will you believe them? That is at the heart of worry. You choose either to believe or not believe. And so the first reason Jesus gives us, as we look at Matthew 6, verse 25, it's in the first verse here, you should not worry because God gives you ultimate purpose in life. Look at the argument here in verse, verse 25. Jesus says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will wear. Now, this sets the stage for the rest of the passage. So on the one hand, he says, Do not worry about your life. And what he connects there with is with eating and drinking. Don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink. And on the other hand, he says, And your body. 
Don't worry about your body, what you will wear. And later on in the passage, we're going to see concerning our life, eating and drinking, what is he going to point to? He's going to say, look at the birds and look how they eat. And he says, do not be worried. And then concerning your body, he's going to say, look at the lilies of the field and how they're clothed. Do not worry about your clothing. So do you see kind of the progression of where we're going here in the text? So this first kind of verse lays out, unpacks all of this, why we shouldn't worry. And he poses one key question here in verse 25. After telling us not to worry about these things, he asks this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Does he give an answer? He doesn't. But what do you think he, the disciples, what do you think that he was implying here? Of course, life is about so much more than eating, drinking, and clothes. You know what the problem is, though? That's what we make life about. You eat, what, three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? When you leave here today, you're going to go eat. And you can consume your life with talking about, hey, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to eat for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner? How am I going to get it? And a lot of this is connected. Well, you need a job so that you can take your money that you get from your job and go to the grocery store and buy food so you can eat or drink or have a place to live or buy clothes. This can consume our life. But Jesus says this, life is about so much more than these temporal things. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Jesus is talking about very simple things like eating and drinking. He says these are to be done in such a way that they show the glory of God. Now let me just ask you this. Have you found your purpose in life? Has any, anybody ever just shared with you what is life about? We yearn for something bigger than ourselves. And what is this verse talking about? This verse is talking about that God has created us in such a way that we are to live to show everybody the greatness of God. I'll use a simple imagery here. We're to be a telescope. Now, what do you use a telescope for? You look in a telescope to see what? To see something far away. Now, notice I didn't say we're a magnifying glass. What does a magnifying glass do? Now, some of you took magnifying glasses and you played with ants when you were kids, right? That's, what, that's the imagery. But a magnifying glass is to make something look big that's small. That's not what a telescope does. A telescope doesn't make something look big that's really small. A telescope helps you to see things that are unseen by the eye. So you look through a telescope and you see the planets and you are in all of that. In the same way, that's what we're supposed to be. Our lives are supposed to be a telescope that people look at us. I'm not trying to make God look big. I'm not a magnifying glass. Has anybody seen God? No. But the goal would be that when people would look at my life, they would get a glimpse. It would be like looking through a telescope to see the unseen. That they could get a picture of what God is like. They would see a little bit of the glory and greatness of God by how I live my life. That's what you were created for. You were not created for yourselves. You were created for God. And this is the basic first argument here that Jesus gets at. So do this. Go through your list of worries 
one by one, Jesus promises your life is more than blank. You fill in the blank. Your life is more than health. Your life is more than marriage. Your life is more than your job. Do you get it? Until you understand the purpose of life, you are going to continue in a spiral of worry that is going to control and consume the rest of your life. So here's the first reason why you shouldn't worry. God gives you ultimate purpose in life. Embrace it. Live it. But he continues on here. The second reason that you should not worry is this. God values you greatly. Look at verse 26. In verse 26 here, Jesus is going to talk about your life, what you eat or drink. And so he says, look at the birds of the air. Now, we need to pause here for a second because Jesus is saying, look around at the world, and he is saying, you should have learned some things by creation. He's saying, look at the natural creation. It testifies to the providence of God. God is so sovereign over the universe that Jesus can say, look at the birds, God feeds them. Now, when is the last time you observed the birds of the air? And you came to the conclusion, look how God provides for the birds. Now, is that usually the eyes by which we view the world? Now, briefly, I just want to share with you just the framework that Jesus is coming from is a biblical cosmology. That's a big word, biblical cosmology. What does it mean? Basically, he's talking about this. He's talking about how God created the world. And, and one view would be that God created the world and he's just left the world to itself. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus is saying God not only created the world, but he is actively involved with sustaining every aspect of it. Look at this definition here. D.A. Carson tells us this about biblical cosmology. I believe we've got a quote, yeah, right there. God stands ontologically over against his creation as its creator and sustainer. Designed by him, the universe hums along, avoiding according to regular and predictable laws. But it does so only because he constantly exercises his sovereignty over the whole. No part of the system ever operates completely independently. So you study, I'm going to come back to this and finish in a second, but you study science at college. And you can, you can learn all kind of rules and laws about gravity and how things work, but those things work that way because God sustains them. And we can study science because God is consistent. He works in consistent ways throughout His universe. And so we can come up with laws. But behind it all is God. Now, this is the great part. Moreover, at any instant He chooses... He is free to suspend or abolish scientific laws. That alone will account for such a miracle as a resurrection of Jesus from the dead. People don't raise from the dead. That is against science, and that's what's going to lead many to say, no, God doesn't exist. But if God does exist, He controls everything, which means He can raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus says, look at the world. Is this the way you view the world? Because what Jesus says here is not going to come with any punch unless you realize God is the creator God who sustains it all. 
So look at the birds. What is, what is the truth that Jesus wants us to get here? This is what he wants us to see. The point isn't that the disciples shouldn't work. Jesus says, look at the birds. Look how God feeds them. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. For instance, birds don't have refrigerators that they can go grab their leftovers and keep it overnight. They don't have a storage pantry. They don't have these means. So how does a bird live? Day by day by day. Now, when I watch birds, let's just ask this question. How does God feed a bird? What do birds eat? You know what birds eat? Birds steal the crops out of your fields. That's how they eat. Birds, you know what else they eat? Birds eat trash. Birds eat roadkill. The very roadkill out there, that's how God feeds the birds. They may dig into the soil and get a worm. But as far as I see, birds work, right? They fly around, they find their food, and they take it back and they feed their little ones. But God is the one who provides. So here's the argument. You are of far more value to God than birds. Now there's another assumption here. The assumption is that we are qualitatively different than a bird. So you know what, we go back to Genesis chapter 1, when God cradled this whole earth, and He creates everything. He creates the trees, He creates the heavens and the earth, He creates the animals, but then He comes to humans, and you know what God says about humans? God says, let us make man in our image. Now, this is not what you're going to be taught at probably Tufts University. For the most part, you're going to be hearing that we are no different in many ways than an animal, and so that they should have the same rights as us. But from a biblical worldview and understanding the, the Bible is this, that you are different. You've been given reason and morality and, and in relationships, love and commitment that the birds don't have. So the argument that Jesus provides is this. It's from the lesser to the greater. If God provides for the birds, surely He will provide for you. Do you believe that you are valued by God? Do you believe that today? That is a truth to take home with you today. So trust Him. But not only that, I want to highlight something else in the text here. He says, look at the birds. And He says, and yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Who is God a Father of? Is He the Father of the birds? No, He says, your Heavenly Father feeds them. Now there's, I mean, we got to get this right. Jesus is sharing this with His disciples. Which means these promises, these truths, are for those that have a relationship with God. Later on in the passage, Jesus is going to compare these reasons with the Gentiles. He's going to say, the Gentiles live a different way than you're to live. What He's assuming here is that you're a part of the kingdom of God. Is God your heavenly Father? Maybe this. Maybe your greatest concern today, maybe your greatest worry today should be this. Am I a child of God? Is He my heavenly Father? Do I have a relationship with Him? Maybe that should be your greatest need. Now, 
you know where we see the providence of God so beautifully? It's when we look at the cross. When we look at the cross, we hear these words from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes might have everlasting life. Do you know what your greatest need is today? It's not food. It's not clothing. It's not something to drink. Your greatest need is forgiveness of sins. It does not matter one bit if you have something to drink at lunch today and you've got clothes on right now if you die separated from God. That is your greatest need. But you know what? Our greatest need, God has provided. Tanner read earlier in Romans chapter 8 where Paul raises this question, if God, who did not spare, who spared His only Son for us, Surely, along with that, He will graciously give us all things. The argument is, if God met your greatest need, the need of, of, of a Savior, of forgiveness of sins, surely He will meet lesser needs like food and drink and clothing. Do you know Jesus? What happens if you die today? Maybe that's your biggest worry that you should be concerned about. My challenge to you today you know how to be granted freedom from the worry of eternal life? It's this. Repent and believe the gospel. It's faith. It is belief in the promises of God that He will save you if you trust Him. So right now, not later, believe. Repent. Turn from your sins. Believe the promises of God. And your worry will go flying by the wayside, and God will grant you much peace. You are greatly valued by God. Third truth he shares with us on down in verse 27 is this. God controls the length of your life. Now you may be saying, where's that in the text? Well, look at what he says here in verse 27. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Or maybe your, your text may say something like this, may add a single cubit, cubit to a stature. There's kind of a, a variant here. What, what does he mean? Um, a cubit was 18 inches. So one possible reading, I think it's the King James Version, says that worrying can't make you 18 inches taller. Now for us, that doesn't make any, doesn't really make sense to read it that way. It doesn't really connect with life. More, what makes more sense would be that worry would, we think of worrying and maybe if I can worry about it, then... I won't die. I'll continue to live, right? And so we think of it in terms of life. How long will I live? And so what, what Jesus is probably referring to here is something like a birthday. So like my kids, Ava turned five, which means she's a, she's a quarter of the way to 20. Man, that is scary. Getting old. Um, there, there, there goes worry again. I've got to hold that back. Um, you, you go through a birthday and you pass a milestone. For instance, I just passed the milestone of 30. That's another big milestone. I've joined Tanner in the 30 Club now. Um, we say you passed, like when you have a birthday, you passed a milestone. That's a similar thing to this. Like a, like a cubit, like a, to your stature, saying, you, you, by worrying, you can't lengthen your life. You know what the irony is here? The irony is worry actually shortens your life. Worry can lead to health issues, can lead to ulcers, 
And so, here's the truth. God controls the length of your life. You trust Him. Do not worry. Worry can lead us, if I don't eat and drink, am I going to die? If I don't have clothing or a place to live, what's going to happen to me? If I don't get this job or if I, if I get this cancer, you're worrying about life and you can't extend life. So leave it to the one who's in control. We sang earlier that God is Lord of all, even over life and death. Will you trust Him with that today? That's a truth to take home. So God controls the length of your life. He continues on. The fourth reason I want to share with you today, God will make you dazzle. God will make you dazzle. I know that's kind of a, you didn't expect that coming at you right there. He continues on, and so he's talked about life, eating and drinking. Now he turns to your body, what you're going to wear. And he says, look at the lilies of the field. Now these lilies would have been, you know, basically the wildflowers so abundant in Galilee. He says, how did they grow, the lilies? Do they work? No, he says, they do not toil or spin. I'll give you, a, man, a real practical illustration of this. I cut my grass on Friday. And you know, I probably had a couple hundred of these yellow flowers that I did not plant. Some of you don't have yards, some of you do. You dandelions, you know what I'm talking about here? Now my kids, I cut the grass and they're like, Dad, why did you cut all the flowers? You know, God clothes my yard with these beautiful dandelions. Now, many of us don't want those in our yards. They're weeds. They're like wildflowers. But when you look at a field with wildflowers and you see the beauty, you ask the question, where do they come from? They don't toil. They do not spin. Again, we could be tempted to think, well, does that mean I don't have to work? I just kind of sit back, hey, the wild, the lilies, they don't spin, they don't work, I'm just going to sit back and chill. God will provide, again, that would be to get to the erroneous side of this pendulum. Here's the truth here. What is God getting at? Here's what He's getting at. God's providence and care are so rich that He clothes the grass with wildflowers that are neither productive nor enduring. God says, the grass is going to be... It's going to be brushed away. It's going to be burnt. It's going to be cut. It doesn't endure forever. It's limited. You, on the other hand, are going to last. Surely, God will provide. He compares it here with Solomon. So, you, know, you know, if you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and read about Solomon, you're going to see this. Solomon was one of the most richest kings ever. You could read about his gold, about his silver, about his chariots, his horses, so abundant. And what does it say? Solomon was not even clothed in this glory. So I want to share this with you. David Pallison, as he's reflecting on this text, he says this. He says, this promise is far more than God will take care of you. This is God will clothe you in nothing less than His radiant glory. So why do you worry about the clothes you wear? I'll dress you in my own glory. Why do you worry about your health? I'll raise you from the dead to eternal life. Why do you worry about a few dollars? I'll give you the whole earth as your inheritance. Why do you worry when someone doesn't like you? I'll make you live in the kingdom of my love. God is giving you a life that is radiant, indestructible, full of glory, you will dazzle. 
Do you believe that? Now, don't get me wrong here. We may not dazzle in this lifetime. Do you see what he's pointing to? Let's look at eternity. God, why do I worry about my body? God will raise it from the dead. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat or drink? God is the one who will crown you. He will clothe you. He, you know what? In, in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, it is going to be glorious. We will be co-heirs with Christ. We will own it all with Him because we are His child. Why do you worry? In this section here, as he's talking about the lilies of the field, look at verse 30. Jesus says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, is alive, and tomorrow is in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. What promises of God are you not believing? What promises of God are you not believing? God will make you dazzle. Fifth truth I want to share with you. In verse 31 and 32, God knows exactly what you need. In verse 31, He repeats this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Hey, rest in this. God knows exactly what you need. Do you believe that? Do you believe God knows what's going on in your life? What you need? He compares this with the Gentiles. And basically, here, here's the key thrust of this. What are you going to be about? Because when we worry about things, things become and they define our life. So health, or a job, or college, or a loan, they define life. But Jesus is saying there's much more to life than this. Don't be defined by these things. Yes, you need a job. Yes, you need to provide for retirement or pay your mortgage and your bills. But don't make that what your life is about. So he, he compares the Gentiles here. So he's contrasting those who are believers, children of God, with those who are not the lost, the Gentiles. He says, look at them. Their whole life is about worry. It's about things. It's about temporal things. The Gentiles never even learn to trust God for the basic necessities of life. They worry day to day, where is this going to come from? They never learn to trust God. Let me ask you this. If you worry like the Gentiles, maybe it reveals you're pursuing the same things they are. If you worry like the Gentiles, maybe it reveals you're pursuing the same things they are. It says the Gentiles seek after these things. It is their pursuit in life. What is your life about? Or maybe your worry advertises to the world that you really don't believe God. And again, you know what? You're just like the Gentiles who don't believe in God. God knows exactly what you need. The sixth truth I want to share with you is this. God provides new grace for each day. I'm going to jump on down to verse 34 and we'll come right back to 33. God provides new grace for each day. 
In verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's almost as if Jesus now turns directly and gives them a very practical reason. He says this, You've got enough to worry about today. Why tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. And what's implicit here is this. Implicit here is that if you have worries and concerns tomorrow, God will grant you new grace for those very worries. So God provides a new grace for each day. Do you believe that? Will you trust that? Why worry about something when you may never even face that day? You're only guaranteed today. And those are some great reasons to not worry. I'm just going to wrap this section up by just saying this. I mean, David Pallison, he gives, he says, man, we need a game plan to approach worry because worry kind of overtakes us. And briefly, I just want to share with you five things here real quick. He says this, five things to use as a game plan when you begin to worry. First thing, name the pressures. When you worry, sometimes it feels like there, there's a million things. But in reality, it may be one or two things that you're obsessing about. So name them. What are you worrying about? You know what? Probably everything's not going bad. Name the pressures. The second thing, identify how you express anxiety. Identify that. I mean, do you just get frenetic? Do you panic? Do you obsess? Do you get angry? Do you get a tension headache? Do you go and just throw down a whole quart of Shaka Cone ice cream from Cold Stone? I mean, what do you do, Tanner, when you worry? What do you do? Do you have an overpowering desire for a strong drink? You see, here's what we try to do with worry. We say, man, here's what will solve my worry. I just want to forget about it. And so I'm going to indulge in food, so I'll forget about it. I'm going to indulge in drink or sex or whatever because it will make me lose and forget about it. Those don't honor God. So how do you express your anxiety? Third truth, ask yourself, why am I anxious? Have you forgotten God? What are you greedy for? What do you want? What do you need? What do you crave? What do you expect? What do you lust after? Because worry is connected with greed. Fourth thing, which promise of Jesus speaks to you most? Which of the, the six reasons that I gave earlier, which, of, which one of those, if you take up and you say, you know what, I'm going to apply this to my worry, which one do you, do you really just need to believe and you'll be a different person this week? Which one of those can you just take up and hold to this week? The fifth thing, go to your Heavenly Father. Go to your Heavenly Father. Man, there's some other verses in the Bible about worry. One of them is Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, which says, Do not be anxious about anything. You know what? You may be here today and you're thinking, John, understand what you're saying. Do not be anxious. You know what? But, man, watch your wife die of cancer and tell me not to be anxious. You might even be thinking that. Yeah, man, I understand what you're saying, but that doesn't apply to my situation. Jesus says, and Paul says, do not worry about anything. When you worry, you question the providence and goodness of God. Will you trust Him? Do not be anxious. Another verse is in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. God cares for you. For you, we believe that today. Now we've been talking about the do not, the negative. Do not worry. Briefly as we wrap up, we've got to hit 
verse 33. We've got to turn to the positive. Look at verse 33 real briefly. And this is the last truth. Do not be anxious. Last truth is this. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. Verse 33 says, But seek after the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's not simply refrain from the pursuit of temporal things. It's seek the kingdom. Yeah, don't pursue temporal things. Clothes, drink, money. But pursue the kingdom of God. You see the connection here. The Gentiles pursue temporal things. You seek the kingdom. What does he mean by the kingdom? Well, this word seek here suggests an unceasing quest. D.A. Carson gives us a good definition here of what he means. He says, to seek first the kingdom is to desire above all to enter into, submit to, and participate in spreading the news of the saving reign of God. That is the kingdom of God. The saving reign of God, the Messianic kingdom already inaugurated by Jesus. Notice the three things here. Enter into, submit to, and participate in spreading. Man, these three things. This, is this what your life is about? Enter into the saving reign of God through repentance and faith. That's what it means to seek. For some of you today, what it might mean for you to seek the kingdom would be you've got to get in the kingdom. Repent and believe the gospel. The second thing, submit to the saving reign of God through radical obedience. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has given us a number of things that we're to do. Will you start storing up treasures in heaven? Will you love your spouse? Will you not be angry? Will you pray and fast? You see these things? Now, notice this. We're not trying to earn salvation through seeking the kingdom. You seek first the kingdom because you're in it. These are how people live. It is motivated by God already accepting us. And then the third thing he says here is spread the news of the saving reign of God. So, man, as we wrap up, man, there's just a couple just penetrating questions I want to ask. Are you as concerned about reflecting the king as you are worrying about your life? Does the thought of seeking the kingdom consume as much of your mind as you do worrying about these worries in life? And then secondly, does your life reflect an unceasing quest for the kingdom of God? Do not live like the Gentiles. We have come to know God. And so you know what? The power of Christian hope is this. You can be freed from a life of worry through unwavering trust in the gracious provision of the caring Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are many things that we're being challenged to believe today. God, would you grant us people of little faith Would you grant us great faith? God, help us to believe that you care, that you know, you're concerned, that you'll provide, that you'll meet every single need that we have. God, would you free us from worry that rules our lives? And God, would we be a people who reflect the kingdom? God, help us to spend as much worry and thought on pursuing the kingdom as we do about temporal things. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.